Hello. Hello, everybody. This is Rum Doings, episode 117. Please send us a friendly little email to podcast at rumdoings.com or, if you prefer, send us a Twitter message at rumdoings. Everybody must follow us on Twitter so that we can have more followers than Justin Bieber. And we're very close to that, actually. We're only seven or so million off, I think. That sounds good. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Splendid. John, I was prepared to come and see you this week, but you didn't want me. So we're back on what is increasingly becoming the sadly inevitable decline of this podcast. Skype. I said that you were very welcome to come today on Friday. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You said that um, because one of your number was having a sex change, you're a man down, and therefore you had to write all the stories on Rock Paper Shotgun this week, so I wasn't welcome. I said that for Wednesday, but I said Friday, however, I'm free. How is this sex change, by the way? It's going very well. What, what, what will her new name be? It's not a her. Ah, right. It. It's a brand new sex, a third sex. A, th- a third sex. It's not a man or a woman. It's a poo man. It's a tri-man. A tri-man. A trimaran. Mm-hmm. The topic today is, are smokers the last oppressed minority? Perfect. Yes. Um, somebody asked me to read... Nick, I want you to tell me a story. Okay. Somebody... Well, the, the sto- I wrote a book in 1993 and I wrote a follow-up in 1995 uh, and it was called The UK School Internet Primer. And basically at the university, I suddenly realised that there was this internet thing and it seemed rather spiffing. Nobody believed me except my old computer science teacher from school. So we decided to write a book to tell people that schools would be using this thing. And... I drafted, we drafted two small fictional stories at the end of the book to kind of discuss some future ideas. And one was generally more positive and one was generally more negative. And it was about the internet and education. If you remember in 93, the internet was, uh, well, the, the web in particular was a baby. So some well, of the in, are, in 93, it wasn't even a thing I'd encountered. No, it wasn't. I mean, the, well, the first web browser had only really been installed on the university network the year before. So this is this is what we're talking about. Um, it was a baby. So uh, I, I, I'll read the story as it uh, as it, as we drafted because I found the old draft file that I'd copied from. A, okay, so, a so explain disc. again. This is a this is a prediction and a fictional prediction of what the future might be not like. not so much a prediction, more a, a, as any slightly sci-fi-ish story is. It's 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 a kind of a, just a discussion of some ideas and uh, in a narrative context. Um, and and we uh, well, I'll read out what the forward to this was because the whole rest of the book was just you know a, a technical introduction to the internet and explaining it to teachers and so on so this is what it says rather than direct fortune telling we provide for your reading pleasure two stories of a pupil going to school in say the year 2010 oh my lord (laughs) the first story is generally optimistic the second is not we invite you to construct your own scenarios which will probably lie somewhere in between the two both have the characteristic of science fiction pieces in being caricatures of a milieu of possible worlds, basically narrating a reductio ad absurdum. Even so, some of the technical ideas within will probably be realised before 2010. The social developments are more questionable. Story 1. Emma stepped off the coach as it slowed down at her school. A wisp of pure steam from the exhaust preceded her towards the gate. 
She was looking forward to finishing her music project that day. The improvisations on her simple theme should be arriving any minute from her Venezuelan friends. She hoped that the joint markers, she wasn't sure yet whether they'd be fellow pupils or teachers, from both schools wouldn't mind her using those unconventional time signatures. After submitting the MIDI file, she'd have the time to begin the research for her history assignment on the development of shared electronic learning from the last quarter of the 20th century onwards. One of her info guides would help in finding sites to obtain useful information, but she knew that the point of this project was selecting for herself the pivotal developments since those heady days at the end of the last century. Emma didn't usually enjoy the formality of registration class. She couldn't fathom why it was necessary. After all, she had swiped her card through the machines at the school entrance and the classroom door, <laughs> which, which she thought should have proved registration enough. With today's session, however, she began to realise the point. It was more than just being counted, but a time for the live guides to have a rare face-to-face meeting with their charges, which was an aspect of the day most learners cherished, even if only deep down. Today's registration meeting was shared with some kids in Goa who, as usual, were showing off their advanced netlang programming skills. Unlike most kids in the UK, they still seemed particularly interested in what happened under the bonnet. Emma decided that she would give the Goan project now being discussed a miss. They wanted to build an info guide that would appreciate and understand both Western and Indian theatrical conventions. At the moment, the guide seemed slanted more towards Broadway than Balgaum. Although she quite enjoyed seeing all the advanced net tricks the Goans played, she wanted to put more time into her history project. She decided it would be her major contribution to the knowledge pool for the year, and she wanted it to be something special. The Goans waved their goodbyes from the wall, and the live guide, Jenny McPherson, invited anyone needing further face-to-face contact time to return at 11am after the two-hour free research session. Emma didn't particularly worry about this, She could always contact a live or info guide on her slate while she was researching if she wanted. Her slate, Nick? Like a a, a pad? The live guides walked around the campus, keeping track, keeping an eye on learners as they researched, answering slate questions and occasionally chatting to children in other schools. Not to mention carrying on with their research. After all, they were still studying too, as were most of their fellow citizens. Emma took one of the bigger class slates to her favourite plum tree in the school orchard, which had been planted in the school's old car park. She gave her main research agent the delimiters of her history project and told it to begin constructing a research plan. While it was busy, she had a chat with Chianetta, a learner at El Tigre Middle School in Venezuela. She enjoyed the improvisations which warbled out of the slate's speaker, particularly the Latin American rhythms, which rather masked her odd time signature and made it sound quite normal. She was glad that people around the world had fought hard to put music on the international choral curriculum. After the adios, the search agent reported back the standard timeline highlights. One, the development of the World Wide Web at CERN. Two, the browser and bandwidth battles. Three, the overbearing control legislation, which toppled under its own inconsistencies. Mm -hmm. Four, Mm -hmm. the final realisation after the 1999 depression that a globally educated population was the only valid counter to the bust and boom cycle, the establishment of the interactive peripatetic parliament as Britain's third chamber within the European Federation. Emma had already participated as a consultant for one of its green papers. The so-called Rockefellering of Bill Gates, 
his historic policy to select as his primary motivation to act as a catalyst for free and universal education access to any electronic resource now enshrined in the UNICEF Charter, cynics were confounded as Gates mellowed. He even <laughs> apologised for MS-DOS. The net controllable labs on the Moon and Mars, although no, pu- no human had made it to the Red Planet yet, far too expensive, Emma was scheduled to help some lunar, con- lunar experiments in two months' time. As a plum dropped past her, improvising a puddle of dams and jam, an info guide popped up on the slate to remind her of her project's, project's remit to discuss whether the development of GIVE, Global Interactive and Versatile Education, and the internet which underlay it was purely serendipitous or part of an inevitable cultural evolution. A few years earlier, she had completed her biology project with the Darwin Institute. She had just received the merit certificate, which she printed out for her proud grandmother, who was running out of wall space. The old lady's immediate comment was that in her days of the rigorous pre-nonsense O-level system, the certificates were properly printed on quality bond paper. To earn that certificate, Emma had to learn quite a bit about natural evolution, and she had noted that many evolutionary change, chains began as a kind of opportunistic response to cataclysm. Perhaps the chain of cultural evolution which led to give and the internet which underlay it had its roots in the Cuban Missile Crisis. After all, everyone knew the internet had been a product of the Cold War. Perhaps it wasn't just the two leaders who needed to learn how to communicate more efficiently, but their communities as well. Yes, the official line was that the internet had developed as a nuclear-proof network, but she wondered whether, in the subconscious realms of the founding computer scientists' minds, there was not the strong thread of something greater, more inclusive and social, much more profound than a research or military tool, right from the beginning. She dictated her thoughts to her slate and picked a green gauge from a neighbouring branch. Her slate started bleeping out a commercial for the latest slimming fad. It had burrowed its way through the school's ad filter disguised as a health programme. She told her slate calmly to send the ad back to its owner. Several balance agents had already popped up, offering various sites dealing with anorexia, diet deficiencies and so forth. She bit into the green gauge and noticed a worm had been there before. The school's decision not to use pesticide had led to a balance of life in its orchard. As she was about to rise from her Arcadian bliss, an independent net-wide music analyst agent popped up onto her slate and informed her that her composition, which it had been considering after picking it up at one of Chianetta's show-and-tell sites, had much in common with certain African dances. It played her an extract from a librarian ceremony. The tonal system was different, of course, but the rhythms were very much the same. She stored the music on the school's main server, intending to play it to friends before orchestra practice the next day. Perhaps she could perform it live. She told the scoring agent to produce some network sheet music out of it. She felt a tap on her shoulder. It was her best friend Sam. Come on, you'll miss tea. You'll get one of those South African donut things today. Those ones soaked in cinnamon syrup. You won't want to miss them. The slates chirped in unison that break was starting, and snippets from the top ten singles of the week emanated from the tiny speakers. Sam particularly liked the slushy ballad about someone trapped in a series of virtual net meetings, all with no logout. Emma paid for for the music download from her pocket e-account, which had just been supplemented by payment for some gardening work she'd done. During break, she remembered to mail the elderly gentleman who lived alone a few blocks from the school. According to the community service roster on one of the school's canteen walls, it was her day to to do his shopping. 
He replied almost immediately, claiming that he was far too busy to worry about such things at the moment as he was busy web surfing, quote. The, the, the friends giggled at this quaint old expression from a previous millennium and Emma resolved to tackle him again before she left school. The end. That's beautiful. It's a sh- yeah. shame about the, uh, the demise of the internet in 1998 making you look a bit stupid. Yes, exactly. I, I, I like the fact that I predicted the Rockefellering and mellowing uh, and of, of Gates because, of course, the idea that Gates would focus on charity, etc. completely in 1993 was ludicrous. And this was when he was going through all the antitrust stuff and all that. No, it's splendid. And the slates, I like the slates as well. Tell me more about those. Oh, well, the slates. I remember she, 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 she paid for a music download. She, she bought a song on iTunes. <laughs> Please tell so, me you didn't predict and bring into it being iTunes. I did. But that does mean it's my patent. I can, I can then therefore sue Apple and oh get them goodness, to close yeah. it all down. So there you go. Do you have a story to read for me, John? I have a very short story to read for you. Where does it come um, from? I'm excited to tell you and our listeners. That oh, by the way, next week... Uh, so much so that if I so much as blink, it cuts you out now. So that's good. Okay. Um, okay, so we, I live on a street, a uh, cul-de-sac, and living also on this street is a... Um, well, this isn't an anonymous letter, so but we're just assuming it's from a lady who's, who it does appear to be quite the busybody. Mm-hmm. I was greeted as I moved into the street by her telling me off for leaving too much cardboard out for the recycling. Too much cardboard. If you have too much cardboard, then they can't recycle it. They have to instead burn a cat. That's right. Okay, mm. so this is, I'll read you the letter. It says, Dear neighbour, you may have been aware over the last few months of a strong, of strong meaty smells in the street lasting for hours and blowing Were you through aware? our gardens. Were you aware of this? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. A strong meaty smell. The smell is coming from number seven, street where the owners have set up an unauthorized dog food bakery <laughs> unauthorized dog food I live at bakery number 10 so that's three doors away right um so i'm a i thought i would have smelt this and also a bakery do dogs a eat much bread meaty bread <laughs> meaty meaty bread if you object to our residential street being used for such an inappropriate business for a number of reasons, from health concerns about attracting rats and rodents to the effect on house prices, or if you have been affected by the smell, please contact the council to object as soon as possible as they will be inspecting the site next week. Have you written your letter to the council? Well, I only received this anonymous letter pushed through our door this morning. Um, she then goes on to give a lot of... Uh, or she, he or she goes on to give a lot of uh, phone numbers and, and email addresses to complain to. And then it ends, This is a residential area, and it is important to stop inappropriate businesses from starting up and establishing precedents in the area so that we can all enjoy our home life without disturbance. Please register your support. Hmm. It sounds a little bit like she's just trying to make somebody's life slightly more unpleasant. It does, doesn't it? I've, I've certainly not smelled anything unusual. At all. Well, where is this dog food meat bakery? Well, it's apparently three doors away from me. You should knock on the door and say hello. <laughs> I'm quite fancy popping in and seeing if it's actually true. And maybe they could give Dexter a sample. I'm sure he wouldn't mind eating food that's primarily for dogs. That's true. He wouldn't mind at all. Also, I like the idea that... I mean, these aren't big houses that we live in. I'm not quite sure how you could set up some sort of industrial kitchen for dog food preparation. No. I wonder what the truth of the story is. 
Well, I imagine it's probably that this person is is making some sort of um, gourmet dog food, and they're using their kitchen to run their little small business. Yeah, I run a small business from my house in my yeah. study. Yeah, and and you smell a lot worse. I create some extraordinary smells as I yes. work. Yes, uh, it sounds like it's a small cottage industry where somebody in their spare time is doing this and is maybe experimenting on new recipes and creating these things. And as we all know, if it does succeed more greatly, then they will get. Uh, industrial premises elsewhere so absolutely it's glad like to hear I like the fact that it's if you object to our residential street yes inappropriate business yes 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 what's a grumpy letter and have you responded no I'm not yet well, I'm thinking about writing a le- uh, an anonymous letter to everyone in our street saying um, that I may, people have maybe been aware over the last few months of a busybody running a busybody busyness right yes well, what you should do, actually, is... I assume you know who wrote this letter. Well, but I'm guessing, yes. What you should do is you should find something about her... I assume it is a her... about which you can complain. Like, go and find out whether maybe she's got weeds overgrowing in her garden or there's some small petty regulation that she may be uh, uh, falling foul of and, you know write a letter complaining to her about and saying that you do you, you think she's bringing down the tone of the neighborhood i'm sure That's you'll be able idea. to find something you know every house will have some defect in in brighton news i got the most so i get a lot of spam um sent to the rock paper shotgun address um and some of it slips through google's filters oftentimes it's people wanting to buy things like buckets for cranes and buckets various cranes. plumbing equipment right um it's but it's a new it's this form of spam i don't really understand which is where they're trying to buy something from me. How does that work? I don't know, but I get an awful lot of it of people saying, you know, we'd like to buy these industrial parts from you. Um, can you let us know how many you can supply? Right. And I often reply suggesting that I can supply so many, and then I never hear back from them again. Before you before you read out your spam thing, mm-hmm. uh, um, it's just that I will forget otherwise. Uh, I'll interrupt you with another story, and then we'll go back to spam, because I think you'll enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Um, you remember? You remember? <laughs> sorry. Do you remember Ian Duncan Smith and the Tories were going on about benefit tourism? Yes. And how expensive that was. There's been a slight, um, a slight modification of their estimate now that they've realised. Now that the facts have been revealed, that uh, so they've had to admit the they've had to cut their benefit tourism estimate by ninety two percent. But that's okay. So there you are. I thought, I, I thought you were you would enjoy it. I mean, originally it was two billion pounds, and it's now closer to a hundred million. So there you are. I presume they've apologised. He says it's still enormous. <laughs> so there you are. Oh dear, so disappointing. He said last year the EU proposal would cost the UK more than two billion a year. He has now revised that to a hundred and something million, a figure he still describes as enormous. It's a bit difficult when something's ninety two percent smaller and you still call it enormous, there's a problem. <laughs> yes. Oh dear, oh dear. You see, when you predicate your policies on just being nasty and xenophobic then when the facts do come in it embarrasses you a bit because you have to it's then revealed what the basis was 
you see what I mean? It becomes patently obvious at that point. So it's like suddenly his winky is showing, oh and dear. it's a de- and it's a decayed winky. I don't want to see in Duncan Smith's balding winky. <laughs> yes, there we are. Back to your spam. Okay, so this is I think the best I've ever received. It uh, it says supply required is the title. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says hi. I don't know you, but I looked you up from rockpapershotgun.com as part of my search for partners in an almost impossible project. <laughs> right. So uh, you're thinking, okay, almost impossible project, so it's going to be, can I invest you know, $12 billion in your bank account or whatever? No, no, no. This is actually an almost impossible project. He says, I am looking for a firm that can help me make lakes or even rivers through the desert. Right. That's amazing! I love this! Is it something you might consider possible? If so, I'd love to hear from you to collaborate on my business case for the same. Do advise capability and interest to me. The opportunity is unbelievably huge, is all I can hint at. My cell is here, and my Skype, uh, bizarre blah, 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 should you wish to get in touch. Regards, Imram Kazmi. Hmm. He's a consultant for crscube.com. And what does he want? Um... Wow, the site actually exists. Well, he wants me to help uh, make rivers and lakes in the desert. I've replied to him saying, I would dearly love to hear more about how you plan to achieve these goals. Well, well, yes. I mean, uh, and also, where would you put it? Well, just through the desert. Which desert? Well, the main problem with the desert, Nick, is the lack of rivers and lakes. Yeah, but he's going to make some. Exactly, we're going to pop rivers and lakes in the desert. If you know, if I were asking you to list the top five problems with deserts, I would say a lack of water would probably appear in there. It probably would, and slightly too sandy. Yes, well, maybe you know, maybe the. Here's a thing. Here's the thing mm-hmm. about sand. Sand yes. on its own, stretching for miles, horrible wasteland. Put a bit of water in, beach. Oh, that's true. Well, that sounds like a very important and useful project. Then, where where can I sign up? Well, I've gone to the website, CRS Cube Corporate Excellence Redefined, and it says, what? <laughs> CRS Cube is a unique Inven99-tion that by far surpasses the balanced scorecard in analysis, design, and implementation of performance management that effectively translates your company strategy, parentheses, which will we also help create or refine, close parentheses, into mm. aligned action, motivated employees, satisfied shareholders, returning customers, partnering suppliers, and community, community accolades. And we also build rivers in deserts. Well, that's the that's the what a bunch of corporates speak with no actual what. Why? If you're convinced with lo- logic, then <laughs> if you're convinced with logic, then mm-hmm. tons of research. If you're li- if you like working with simple people who are not focused on getting simple. you tangled up in, in engagement models where you lose in terms of time and money, but on building a long this is such a difficult sentence to read, but on building a long term relationship, meeting your needs as best they could, then click contact us. Yes, is all I could say to that. I love the way that just simple people don't get entangled and then they give the most unsimple entangled thing they can. But we're number three, we'll build you a big lake in the Kalahari. There's nothing I've got an about page here. About us, we build lakes. And we rivers. don't run businesses, just make them run faster. That's right. You and you, you run your business. We help you uncover your strength to get peak performance by doing whatever it takes to give maximum delight and satisfaction to your customers. Hence our vision statement. We don't just run businesses. Oh, sorry. We don't run businesses. We just make them run faster. 
Oh dear, I'd love to know what the actual story is behind this particular scam because it's pretty illiterate. It must be some sort of SEO thing, surely. Well, Imran Kazmi, the name on the email, actually appears on the about page. MBA and BAA ONS from IBA in 1992, with over a decade of consulting experience, out of which a major portion has been on the balanced scorecard with leading banks and oil firms besides work experience in blue-chip multinationals. (laughs) Imran has, to his credit, an innovation! The only one of its kind on the balanced scorecard called CRS Cube. Imran's role is to captain the ship from origin to destination with overall leadership responsibility of team and task results. Imran is also a world peace activist with his peace blog site to create an unbiased, poverty-free and borderless world. Well, there you go. With lots of different rivers and lakes in it. Um, oh, wow. They've linked it incorrectly, but I can get to it. His, uh, his peace blog site is uh-huh. a happyworld.info. Okay, well, we'll leave that for everybody else to check. How's Laura, by the way? I have no idea. Is she still doing the science? She's still, she's still trying. She's trying as best a lady can. Exactly. You're I like to say that Laura, Laura does parascience. Like, you know, <laughs> Paralympics, yes. Well, is she S7, mildly disabled, being a lady... She's she's currently she's currently doing para uh, parascience where she's dissecting ghosts. Oh really? Mm-hmm. So I, I guess ghosts are a lot cheaper to get than pigs. Well, also the good thing about ghosts is that um, they're discovering that because they're formerly human, quite a lot of their organs can be um, transplanted. Oh really? But I wonder whether they would be rejected by the more fleshy human body. You'd probably need to use a lot of. Uh, Drugs to make sure the body didn't reject these strangely spectral organs. I well, guess using, that's what they're using a special scaffolding technology where they create these um, nano scaffolds and, and run the ghost organs through those. Ah. And as the scaffold degrades in the body, the ghost organs are gradually rebuilt using human cells. Ectoplasm scaffold. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like she's got her work cut out for her. Still, at least she's in good spirits. Crunks. <laughs> Yes. Um, oh dear, what? I just did that. A big cymbal crash with my arm. I got a whiff of my armpits. I haven't had a shower yet this morning. Look what you're doing to house prices. I know. <laughs> it's absolutely awful. The health concerns are quite serious. It's a rat problem. It's out of control. <laughs> they certainly are. Um, when last did you have some alcohol? Oh, oh I had. Uh, last night I had a very weak uh, lager shandy. Why? It was weak because I only had the, a third of a bottle of, of beer left. Why did you drink it? I did, I did drink the shandy, yes. Why? Because it tastes nice. But it's unusual for you to have alcohol. You must have been celebrating something. No, no, I have... Um, the reason I had alcohol is because Laura bought some uh, bottles of uh, the beer, what I like, the other day. So I had a few of those in the fridge. I see. Are you happy with the uh, DRM announcement? Which one? The one that you uh, interviewed on. Oh, Ubisoft's announcement. Yes, I'm, well, I'm delighted. It took a couple of years of shouting and we finally seemed to get somewhere. Now, there was some debate about whether their response was wretched and corporate or reasonable. And you were somewhere in between, weren't you? Well, it's interesting. The people I spoke to gave, unfortunately, particularly corporate answers. They were very much on message. And well, what it was is there was a lady there whose job it was to deal with these DRM issues 
and then there was a guy there who um, is in PR and is super super corporate PR man, and you could very much tell that he was there to stop her from going off message. Hmm. The the problem with being on message is not being on message; it's being so clunkily on message. A good politician will very very cleverly keep themselves on message but you won't realize the joins the problem is when a politician is bad at doing it and then he goes on news night and he's just a bit sweaty and obvious and Mm -hmm. that was that was the issue here i have no problem with there being on message and there are plenty of ways that you could have been on message while sounding that like you are open and discursive there are plenty of tricks of the trade so what offended me about this was more that somebody that high up should have received better training or been better at their communicative job to be honest you know, I didn't care that they were viewing the the the, the biggest load of mealy mouth nonsense. That uh, that didn't upset me. What upset me is that they were doing it unskillfully. Yes, well, uh, I, as far as I can tell, their motivation for doing the interview was to get across this message that they have scrapped the DRM that everybody hates so very much and replaced it with still DRM, of course, but something far less yes. offensive and obtrusive. And that's what they wanted to communicate in this interview. And I think they had hoped that I would go speak to them and say so um yeah what is it you want to tell us and then they could just deliver their speech but mm. I, I didn't i wasn't prepared to do that so i started off with with questions they didn't want to answer but i know your the point you made was that a corporation can't do a mayor corporate because the uh shareholders get upset and that mm-hmm. and to a degree you're right but to a degree you're also wrong because a good mayor corporate skillfully handled can be very uh cathartic and therapeutic and you can sweep a lot of rubbish under the carpet so if you say we had a strategy there were reasons why we had that strategy it didn't pan out and now we are responding to our customers demands then that can be good because you then sound like a responsive and effective company of course the way you issue that mea culpa needs to be done skillfully to make it sound like it wasn't incompetence but a genuine attempt to do something which just through happenstance didn't quite pan out and now you're listening strongly to your customers. The difficulty they had was their obvious Ill- illogic in, in trying to pretend that what they were doing was fine, worked very well, and therefore they're not doing it anymore. Yes, indeed. And the, the disingenuity of, of Ubisoft's situation was that they had, in the face of such widespread criticism, continued doing something that didn't work and wasn't going to work. And then seemingly, and I can't say for sure, but seemingly lied about it working. Mm. When I asked, Because when I asked about the the statement given to PC Gamer when they said it's dramatically affected, it's reducing piracy, they referred to that as an unfortunate statement, which I imagine is corporate speaking, yeah. we were lying. Yes. Well, there are, there are two possibilities. Um, either they lied or they were massively dangerously deluded in a kind of quite psychotic sort of way. So neither option is particularly helpful, which is why, of course, it was an unfortunate statement. Um, of course, what would have been brave for them to say is, yes, that was a pile of nonsense. We were panicking a bit. We're not going to say that sort of rubbish anymore. Uh, and that would have really pulled the rug out from under from under the story. Yes, it would have been fantastic. But uh, and if, if you read, there's an, another interview done by Game of Sutra with someone else, which is, well, they've editorialised the interview, so it's, quite, it's not quite such hard quotes. A lot of it is summarised by the writer, so it's pretty hard to tell exactly what was said. But it sounded much more open and much more amenable, that interview. I see. So you were just rubbish and you made them feel uncomfortable. That's what it was. Or, or I spoke to a different person. Yeah, one of the two. One of the I, two. I mean, we must remember they're not getting rid of DRM. They're, let's not no. Uh, no, let's not, not say that. They're, they're just making it slightly less obnoxious for now. 
Well, they're putting in a DRM that's so meaningless that uh, the piracy is is will be day zero and it won't affect anyone. It won't make any difference. And mm. you know, I've installed a game using their new DRM, and it just it's just like the old days of this awful Starfall stuff. It just runs a quick online check and then goes away again. Good, good. But what games so do the they? Pirated versions won't have that in, but it'll be almost no difference. What games do they make? Um, their most famous series would be the Splinter Cell games, Prince of Persia's, the um, Assassin's Creed is their big title at the moment. I know Prince of Persia. That's been going on for eight million years. That's correct. Still um, squeezing that franchise. All sorts. Rayman's theirs. Very popular. Hmm. Do you like all their games? I don't like all their games by no means, but um, uh, they the original, the second, the recent trilogy. Oh gosh, it's so hard to describe. Prince of Persia. Of course, they were the original Jordan Mechner Prince of Persia's in the nineties. Um, in the two thousands, they then did a new trilogy, uh, beginning with uh, Sands of Time. And Sands of Time is a superb game. They then sin- have since they made, then made two other Prince of Persia games that have both been terrible. Right, fair enough. So that's just the usual uh, overextended franchise. Um, Will there be a President Romney? Yes or no? I hope not. We ask this every episode, but I think we should, and we'll see what, what our temperatures are each week. Um, so you, do you think there will be? Well, it's interesting. This whole tax return thing is interesting. Um, I'm very disappointed that the hacker who claims to have them is is, bribe, is using bribery, because now he's just the bad guy rather than the fun maverick. Yes. Well, I, I didn't know that he was. What's he saying? People need to pay him for them. He said he wants, I don't know, a million dollars or something, or he's going to publish Mitt Romney's tax returns. Or he is going to. Yes. Oh, that's quite amusing. I thought it was a million pounds if you want me to publish them. But there you go. No, so and Obama is tweeting yesterday saying he should have to publish them. And obviously, an obvious way to get out of the bribery is just to publish them himself. Yes. But that wouldn't be legal. What wouldn't be legal? To publish somebody else's tax returns. No, no, no. I mean for Romney to publish his own to get out of the bribery. But he can't publish them because they're very embarrassing. Well, exactly. They're going to reveal just how little tax he pays and where all his offshore investments. Unless he fiddles them. Say again? Unless he fiddles what he publishes. That's true too. That would work. Yeah. I, I, I find it difficult to envision President Romney at the moment I could change but at the moment he's just so inhuman and so he's such a husk of a cipher that even those who want to support him don't really support him do they well that's interesting coming from you because you are um, a a political pessimist so you'll always assume the worst in order that when it happens you're you're steady and ready for it so I'm surprised you're not predicting President Romney at the moment well, the reason I'm not predicting it is I'm, I'm more and more convinced that politics has very little to do with argument and logic and is all to do with whether we like the monkey we see in front of us. Well, and, of this, uh, uh, and for example, I mean, Boris Johnson, uh, he gave a speech at the end of the, uh, the Olympic and Paralympic parade. And it was a superbly toned speech. He's clearly studied classical rhetoric. He knows when to talk to the little people and how to talk to the little people whilst still keeping enough of his highfalutin rhetoric to show that he's better than they are, but not such that he alienates them and so on. It was very, I mean, I, I think he's a very cynical politician, but my goodness, he knows how to work it. 
and watching him as he stood next to the awkward Cameron was very, very telling. Uh, you could see which was the monkey who knew properly how to manipulate the other monkeys and which wasn't. And it's the same, I think, with Romney. Now, as it happens, I don't think Obama is very good at that. He's not actually... Uh, when, when last did you see Obama actually give a good speech? Well, I, well before I ask, answer, I wanted to just clarify one thing. Are you saying, are you calling Obama a monkey? Can we just be clear on this? Yes, I am. Okay. Um, I didn't see it yet. I keep meaning to watch it. But apparently his speech at the uh, Democratic Convention this week was uh, supposed to be spectacular. No, everybody says that his wife's was good. His was just workmanlike. Oh, okay. From what I've heard, I mean, maybe wrong. The What we can agree is that Romney's wasn't. Uh, so Romney is just unable to connect. Um, there are so many websites are you know called Romney being awkward dot Pinterest or whatever, and you can just see that he doesn't get on well with the little people, and he can't fake it. Now, to a degree, Obama can, but he still has that highfalutin coolness about him. But he gets away with it because it's part of his uh, USP. The problem with Romney is that he doesn't have any interesting story about him that allows him to get away with any of the char- the unpleasant characteristics that he has. He's just a- an unpleasant, awkward, robotic, very rich bully. And that's not attractive. No. Plus, for the Crispies, he's a cult member. Yes, indeed. This is uh, this is extraordinary that this hasn't already been a factor. I don't understand how his his being a Mormon hasn't caused the Christian right in America to go insane. Uh, and the average Baptist simply cannot accept a Mormon. They can't. I'm sorry if they're being at all logical and not racist. You know what they might be saying is we'd prefer a white Mormon than a black who's pretending to be a Christian. That's the only thing I can think of. There, yeah, I suppose that makes some sense. Don't forget also not a black uh, a black Muslim from Brazil, Kenya. Where, where is he from? Same I thing. I can never remember. Yeah, racist. Well, yes, and. That surprise, it does surprise me a bit that the Christians seem not to have made a deal of his Mormonism. I suppose they argue that faith is more important than which particular faith it happens to be. And as long as it has Jesus vaguely in the discourse somewhere, they'll be prepared to have a, a big church just to get the nasty Kenyan black uh, baby murdering Muslim out of the socialist White House. But it is interesting. Can you imagine if it were a Mormon uh, Democrat candidate? That the Republic, surely the Republicans would be running uh, anti-Mormon ad campaigns at this point. There would be all sorts of dog whistling going on. You know, there would be there would be lots of images of Utah looking spooky. <laughs> I mean, even when the uh, Democrats had a had a Catholic, there were there were discussions about it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I find it odd that there hasn't been that big a reaction, but I think the explanation is that at the moment uh, it's it's enemies' enemies' territory. Of course, once he comes into power, he's going to have to be very careful because at that point they won't be holding their tongue quite so. I mean, can you imagine, I'm just thinking like uh, the Republican uh, Mormon, there'd be the Democrat, the, sorry, the Democrat Mormon, the Republican campaign set announcing that there's plans to put the Book of Mormon into all schools. That would surely come up. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Or, or um, you know, defend the definition of marriage, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman, not a man and women. 
a woman and a woman and a woman and a woman. Yes, quite. That's um, why. I've, so basically, what we're concluding here is the Democrats need to use more dirty tactics. Yes. Well, we know that dirty tactics work, and what they need to do is they can't be seen to do it themselves, but they need to start really seeding the seeds of mistrust and doubt in Southern Baptist areas. They need to be having agent provocateurs there who kind of whisper it to their congregations and spread it like a dirty virus. <laughs> so more, okay, here's a diff more difficult question. 2014, do you see a Prime Minister Cameron or a Prime Minister someone Labour? I just see a grey, fuzzy space like the beginning of the HBO logo. <laughs> but why? Why can't you see the future there? Because anything could happen. I don't know what on earth is going to happen with the economy in this country. And also, I, Ed Miliband fails drastically in the monkey test. He is the worst monkey, isn't he? Oh, of course. He, I mean, that's why I say a Labour... A Labour this, Prime Minister, he cannot pot, they cannot possibly be stupid enough to put him up in 2014, surely. There cannot be a Prime Minister, uh, Ed Miliband, that can't happen. Uh, and I don't care if he turned out to have saved a child from drowning and worked out exactly how to uh, save our economy, it wouldn't matter. He's got that weird face and that awful way of speaking and he's stilted and therefore tough. He can't be Prime Minister. So who who is then? How do they get rid of him? How do they get rid of him with that without it being just obvious they're just junking him to get a more winning more winning candidate? Um, he will have to suddenly decide that his family is very important, won't he? That's how they do it. Like Louise Mensch pretended that she was resigning to spend more time with her family rather than more time with her internet startups. Yes, it's that kind of thing. Maybe they should just gradually just just slowly start using uh, David Miliband. In place yes. of Miliband, just gradually, just till eventually they just switch them over without anyone really noticing. Yes. Oh, Prime Minister Miliband. Yes. Mm -hmm. I suppose they could, they could do that. But on the other hand, David Cameron's not quite got the cachet he got even amongst those who liked him, does he? He's getting it from all sides. You know, his, his the Tories don't think he's right wing enough. Everybody else thinks that he's not as lovely as he pretended he was. Um, looking a bit oily and, and sweaty and generally he's not the monkey that some people thought he was. Yes. So in a weird way it's difficult to think of that he'd be given another chance but maybe he will be. Again it depends on whether by 2014 people will have decided that the economy was on the up trajectory I think. I think that will make the difference. If they think that we are, we've been steadied by a safe, even if unpleasant pair of hands, then we'll be okay. And he'll be okay. Well, Nick, as this episode comes to an end, we have neither discussed the Hillsborough findings nor the Duchess of Cambridge getting her boobies out. I think it's probably best that you don't discuss the Hillsborough findings. You've already made Steve Eustace very upset. Duchess of Cambridge's boobies, I'll search online and have a look at them later and I'll give you a mark out of ten. Okay, sounds good. Okay, uh, I will stop this recording now. Well, but before, before you do, that... I just think it's nice to say thank you very much to all our lovely lady and gentleman listener mm -hmm. and um, remind them that they can email us at uh, podcast at rumdoings.com and, and tweet at us rumdoings. at rumdoings. And they can check out 
the new www.rumdoings.com uh, webpage, which is your blog, but it's now not dark and nasty. It's now nice and Aryan. It's just a nice, simple, uh, friendly-looking place now. And also I've created a proper category for Rumdoings, so it's not just done by a tag now. It's a really nice Hur- category with a nice tab and everything. Hooray, so Rumdoings has been given its own federated republic. Absolutely. All right. Thanks Bye-bye. for listening, everybody. Thanks for talking to me, Nick. I really hated it. Bye. Good. Bye.